Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss and reflect on faith and philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social issues. We want to engage ideas on what it means to be a free human being in the pursuit of human flourishing. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Humanity Matters Weekly with our special Humanity Matters one-on-one. I am your host, Dr. Philip Fletcher, and I am glad that you are able to join us uh, once again for another show. As always, you can connect with me, philipfletcher.org. That is philipfletcher.org on my website. A lot of good content where I put my essays up, upcoming speaking type opportunities. So go and check that out. As always, jump on over to YouTube, put in my name, Philip Fletcher. That's Philip with two L's and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Good video, good lectures and speeches. And you see all the previous episodes of the Humanity Matters Weekly. So check that out. As always, you can jump over to wherever you get your podcast content. Mine is uh, filtered out through anchor.fm and go over there. And so whether you listen through iTunes or Spotify or Google or any other place that you get your podcast content, hey, why don't you look me up, subscribe there, leave me a review. I would appreciate it very much. Also, hey, got to make a little bit of the cheddar ever so often. And so if you would like to sponsor and run a commercial or ad or anything like that, uh, hit me up on PayPal. It's pfletcher73 at gmail.com. And then as always, be in the mailbag, Humanity Matters Podcast at gmail.com. You could get a prize. You know, I am uh, happy today to have with me Martha Bueno. How are you doing, Martha? I am great. Thanks for having me on. Good. And Martha is a fully bilingual Miami native of Cuban descent and the daughter of a Cuban political prisoner who lived six years in Venezuela. She is a fourth generation farmer currently growing hemp on her farm in Miami-Dade. Martha is a community councilwoman in Miami and is the vice chair of the Miami-Dade County Libertarian Party. She was the founder of the Florida Genetic Center Hemp Farm and two successful e-tailers, Red America and Pure Farmers, Formulas, excuse me. So in 2011, Pure Formulas ranked 97th among 500 fastest growing companies in the U.S., according to Inc. Magazine. That's pretty awesome. Today, Pure Formulas remains one of the leading online retailers of health supplements and organic products. And she currently hosts Libertarios Hispanos with Zach Foster, a Spanish language Internet show broadcast live through the Libertarian Party YouTube channel every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard. Thank you for joining us, Martha. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yes. So tell us about yourself. Just whatever you feel comfortable sharing. (laughs) I think you kind of went through the gamut right there. I'm Mm -hmm. uh, an entrepreneur. I I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur until I kind of started. I had a child early in life. I had a baby when I was 21, and I... Um, moved into my grandfather's house and figured I need to f- make this work. And so I started Vet America from my living room, uh, okay. making boxes, uh, 
you know, I'd always been involved in like veterinary stuff. So that just, it was the beginning of e-commerce and um, moved on and created Pure Formulas, which is the company that is uh, on running now. Um, I'm okay. no longer the owner of that. However, um, that was what allowed me to pursue my true passion, which is, um, I guess the real word for it is politics, although I don't consider myself a politician. Okay. I actually hate that word. I think that it's it has really bad connotations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's pretty much how I got to this point. I've I've always loved being able to help people, and I you know I see what's going on. Um, I see how we're being lied to by our mm-hmm. politicians, and okay. I really want to try and make a difference. So I decided to, as you mentioned, I'm a community councilwoman, and um, the next step up is commission. I would really like to. Um, be able to make a difference for Miami-Dade County. We're the largest, seventh largest county in the country. We okay. have a pretty large, you know, substantially large budget of $9 billion a year. Okay. And um, that's what the commissioners do is they decide where that money is allocated. And currently um, I go and I, I speak in front of the commission as often as I can uh, on a host of issues, mostly projects that are corrupt and... Okay. Um, <laughs> money being misspent, um, as you can imagine, with a $9 billion budget. And that money comes from our property taxes, which is a big issue mm-hmm. for me as well. Um, we can mm-hmm. discuss that later. But, you know, property taxes, you never own the home, your home. You you will pay for it forever, even if you've paid right. off the mortgage. You'll right. never own it. And so this year during COVID, it was particularly brutal Um so many people are out of a job. So many people are hurting. And in Miami-Dade, we managed to raise those taxes anyways. Yeah. Um, we haven't been getting any of those services. A lot of the services were shut down or mm-hmm. minimalized. And still they decided, hey, Miamians are going to pay more. And that really pushed me over that edge. And I decided enough is enough. I have to run. I, I mean, something has to, at least somebody has to be out there right. um, calling attention to this. Good. So what what was it that kind of, drug you in or pushed you in into politics? Was there an event back in your life that was like, I need to throw my hat in the ring and and be more vocal? Obviously, now you're serving. Uh, What was there a particular event or a series of events that happened to you? Yeah, I think it's a series of events. I grew up Republican because I didn't know any better. My parents were Republican. So that's Mm -hmm. just what you do. I think, in my opinion, it's what you do. You you follow kind of your parents' path. So I did that. Um, and sometime in 2016, I became a little more involved in the Libertarian Party. And I realized how hard it was for somebody like Gary Johnson, a two-time governor of New Mexico, to make an impact in politics. And, yeah. um, you know, when your options are Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or um, Gary Johnson, I was like, how is it possible that people don't even know that there are more people running? And of course, there's a Green Party. There's more parties. Um, but I most align with the Libertarian mm-hmm. Party. I believe in freedom for everyone. Um, laws being applied the same way. So I, I got yeah. involved with the Gary Johnson campaign. I actually flew out to New Mexico to work the polls the day of election for him okay. and um, attend the party and, you know, the election night party. And after that, I got involved locally. I realized that there was a local chapter where I could work. And a few months later, I became the vice chair. And it's it's just snowballed from there. Um, We had a project here in Miami or actually in all of Florida uh, called First Step, where we asked people to run for the lowest rungs of politics. So the community council boards, you know, the soil and water boards, just the, the small seats that the usual politicians don't really care for. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but because we are libertarians and because people don't know about us, we have to start somewhere and we have to we can't just run for the highest levels of office after never having done it and expect to to just be there. So I couldn't as the vice chair ask people go do this thing and not do it myself, right? So Right. Right. I I ran and I got my seat because I was the only person to run for it. Okay. Good leadership <laughs> lesson. Don't ask don't ask people to do something you're not willing to Absolutely. Uh, do yourself. Great leadership lesson. So in regards to being a libertarian, can you describe to people what a libertarian believes um, in general? I know, you know, libertarian <laughs> is a big tent. I got that. But but kind of just the fundamentals uh, from your perspective of what it is to be a, a libertarian. Absolutely. So um, libertarians, we're not left or right. And I think that's a misnomer of, of politics in general. You're either a left you know, or you're right. So libertarians, we are further right than the right on economics. We are further left than the left on social issues. We believe in everybody. Everybody's equal. Everybody has the same rights. Our laws should apply equally. There should be no special classification. There should be. We um, so we believe in freedom the way the Constitution says uh, all men are created equal. Obviously, all men, women. Everybody right. created equal. Yeah. Um, but we believe that the U.S. government is just too large, too intrusive and um, generally doesn't make the decisions for us. Just a few minutes ago, we were speaking about cannabis prohibition, for example, and that's mm-hmm. a huge issue for me. So libertarians, we don't believe that the U.S. government has a right to tell humans what to do with their bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't belong to the U.S. government. You know, that's correct. You have children. Um, I don't want the U.S. government coming into my house and telling me how I can raise my kids or what I can do or what I can't do. And similarly, um, with our own bodies, you know, we we constantly hear about the right wants um, abortion to be illegal and the left, you know, they want it completely legal. And our point is, why does the government have a say in this? I mean, you know, it's just so many issues that matter to all of us are being decided by people who don't even have a degree or maybe knowledge in that. Um, right. You know, it, it's, it, we just think that there should be a very limited government and that the government we do have should serve the people. It is not about serving people in power. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, specific things like school choice, um, we believe firmly that the U.S. government doesn't have a right to tell people where to, they have to send their kids. Just down the gamut, the easiest way to explain it is liberty in all shapes and forms. You have the right to your body, to your decisions, to make right. the best decisions for you. And the government shouldn't be taking money out of our pockets um, that they're misspending. <laughs> you yes. know, we work yeah. really hard for that. And they just decide, I mean, right now we're looking at a $1.9 trillion budget and 90% of that is going to either foreign corporations or, you know, it's going to things that are not COVID. It's billed as a right. COVID relief. But it's not. And if if we manage to get the thousand four hundred dollar payment out to people, that's costing each person in the United States over five thousand dollars. So they're telling you that they're going to give you this money. um, But that's not the reality. The reality is they're just adding more to the deficit and they're they're spending it on on projects that. Yeah. And get that paper machine going. Absolutely. We're just printing away, you know. Very true. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, with the short thinking short term um, is going to have long term consequences, which 
you know, your children's children, my children's children are going to have to uh, figure out and deal with. And that's unfortunate. It's uh, not even that far. I mean, you and I are paying for this because every dollar we have in our pocket is worth less today and it'll be worth less tomorrow and it'll be worth less tomorrow. You know, so we we basically are are um, paying for this through our our you know through our value the value of our money being less, and then on top of that, we have a huge deficit. So right. this isn't something that's sustainable. We're we're really looking at a long term. It's just it's bad all the way around. And I mean, I I hear a lot of people and they tell me, well, the U.S. government can just print money forever, and that's not the case. <laughs> that's just not the case. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't work that way. And it, no. it doesn't. It, it it doesn't. Right. It doesn't. So <laughs> I was watching um, uh, another talk that you had gave and you had spoken about your parents um, and, and their life in Cuba. Um, did any part of that, their life have any impact on how you view uh, politics and, and your philosophy at all? Absolutely. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. So my parents were both born in Cuba um, and my father in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, decided he wanted to leave Um, right after the revolution in Cuba. The revolution is when Fidel Castro, um, you know, took over. There was a there was another dictator, Batista, before. However, Mm -hmm. Batista was not a socialist dictator. Um, The United States, Havana used to be the playground. It used to be the Las Vegas for Americans, the Rat Pack. I mean, it was just the happening place. Um, So life in Cuba, it was, while there was a dictator, um, it was not, you know, it was not what it is today. It Mm -hmm. was a thriving country. It was actually one of the most prosperous countries in Latin America. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my family had a good life there, uh, mm-hmm. just regular run of the mill life. And once uh, Fidel Castro came into power, my father was a young man at the time, uh, you know, early. I don't think he was even 20s. Okay. And um, what he tried, he was like, well, I guess I'll go to school and study veterinary medicine. And they sat him down and like they did to every other Cuban and said, you must accept socialism. You must learn Karl Marx. And, you know, you must learn this before you can get an education. And then if you're not part of the government, you're not going to have that education and you're not going to be able to have a job and you're not going to be part of this. And um, I, I get my rebellious streak from somewhere. So uh, my dad decided he was going to leave and he attempted to leave Cuba, got caught and was given a six to eight year jail sentence for trying wow. to leave Cuba. Yeah. And so long story short, my mother broke him out of jail. <laughs> and um, yes, it's... it's I think that is, when I heard that the first time, I thought that was so awesome. That, that, <laughs> those are marriage vows. That, that's right? right or die right there. <laughs> yeah, my mom broke him out of jail, um, took him to a town just outside of Guantanamo, right next okay. to the Guantanamo Bay base. And he stayed there for about a month and then had to escape through an outhouse. Um, you know, back in the day, yeah, <laughs> made wow. it to Guantanamo Bay, swam across the bay and made it to the U.S. base that was there, Guantanamo. And when he got there, he um, they gave him a ride to the U.S. And so from there, he, you know, got us all out. But that whole experience, um, the fact that I can't. I can't uh, have a relationship with my family. I've missed out. I never got to meet my grandparents. Um, I've never been able to go to the island because of my father's history. I yeah. and and I do like to 
I do like to poke that bear. I do like to reach out to the Cuban government quite often okay. <laughs> on Twitter and social media. So I, I, I don't think I should go there because, um, you know, when you live in, in socialism, when you've been affected by it, you see the reality. And the reality is, yes, everybody gets a free education in Cuba, mm-hmm. except you have to accept the socialist Marxist doctrine in order to get that education. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that everybody can read if you are forced to read what they want you to read. Mm -hmm. Does it Mm -hmm. matter if you, you know, if you have to be part of this government in order to be able to eat, you have to be a part of that machine or, Mm -hmm. or you're excluded. And the Mm -hmm. people who are excluded suffer tremendously. Even the people who are included, if you're not in the top ranks, you are, um, you're treated horribly. I mean, there's no freedoms in Cuba. There's um, people can't leave Cuba. You can't just hop on a plane and say, I'm going to go visit the United States or any other country really, and have that freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it, you know, and then I lived in Venezuela for six years. And when I lived there, it was also an amazing country. One of the most proper prosperous countries in Latin America at that time, Um, the biggest oil reserves in the world, the biggest exporter of oil to the United States. And so the same thing happened there. Socialism took over. And right now, the average Venezuelan makes a dollar a month. So, I mean, and in Cuba, it's $14, $40 a month, I'm sorry. So, you know, I've seen socialism happen again and again and again. And I don't understand how it's uh, popular in the U.S. And the only thing I can think of is people don't know what socialism really is. And you hear about free health care and you hear about these things and you think, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But the reality doesn't work out that way. Yeah. I was, you know, listening, thinking on, you know, what your parents went through and then what you experienced firsthand in, in Venezuela. Um, just on your own personal analysis, what makes people, societies, nations susceptible to socialism? And, you know, everywhere it's been tried, it's been a disaster. Uh, it's history. I'm a historian. So his, I mean, they have a perfect record for disasters. Uh, they do. <laughs> what do you think makes people susceptible to say, Hey, we'll roll that way. Um, other than the, the notion of, Hey, you'll get what you said, like free education or free healthcare, but not understanding the trade-offs that come with right. that. Um, can you speak to that? Sure. Um, I I'm, I wish I had a like a better answer to this. And okay. I, uh, you know, because it's one thing to experience it and to see. Mm-hmm. And I think every country, there's a different reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, here in the United States, you see a lot of people calling for socialism because they believe that, you know, you're going to have all these free things and that's worth it. I mean, I see it all the time. People will tell me, well, I'd rather pay more in taxes if that's going to mean good things for other people. I think at the at the heart of of the matter, people who want socialism are fundamentally good people who want mm. everybody to have the same. You know, mm. everybody to have healthcare, um everybody mm. to have food on their table, everybody mm. to have um you know, the, the things that that we all strive for. It's just the means to get there. In order for yeah. socialism to work, they must take from somebody to give to somebody else. Very much like what is happening right now in the United States. Obviously, socialism is maybe a step forward, you know, even more intrusive into your lives. But it's the same concept. It's a few people at the top making the decisions 
owning the means of production um, and, and making the decisions that affect us all. And so, yeah. for example, in healthcare, um, you know, we all want healthcare. We all have a right to have the ability to, to decide for ourselves who we want to see as a doctor and what medicines we're willing to take and so on and so forth. What we don't have is a right to force somebody else to give us that for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the reason we want it, you know, again, is good natured. We just aren't educated enough on, on how it plays out in the real world. And in the real world, you know, if you're going to force a doctor to provide health care for everyone for free, yeah. you're basically turning that doctor into a slave. And, yeah. um, you know, that's that's not what America is about. And you can't uh, it's it's so complicated. It's so convoluted. And what we have in healthcare right now is not a free market healthcare anyway. So we're basically saying this socialized medicine that we have in the United States is bad. So we're going to give more socialism and it's somehow going to be magical. Yeah. Um, I think that if if people really understood where we went wrong with the U.S. healthcare, they'd see that free market is where it's at. And a perfect example of that is plastic surgery or laser uh, LASIK eye surgery. Uh-huh. Both of those things are completely free market. There's, you know, you don't get any form of so- socialization in either of those. You have to pay out of pocket. And mm-hmm. 20 years ago to get both your eyes done for LASIK eye surgery was about $20,000. I mean, it was incredibly yeah. expensive. And now you can go get it for maybe $2,000 for the whole thing. So every time the free market operates, it brings down costs, quality improves. I mean, right now is the best time to go get either plastic surgery or or LASIK eye care. You know, it's just the quality improves, the prices come down, competition is what makes things better. You know, the doctors always want to be the best in their field. Um, to provide that better service. So you come to them and they start lowering their prices to compete with other doctors. I mean, it just, it works. I would love to see that model in our healthcare. I would love to see doctors who, you know, keep us healthy being paid at the top of their game because they're worth it. And those who can afford those doctors go to them. And that creates a system whereby all doctors try and follow that model. And then, you know, even, even those of us who maybe can't afford the top of the line, uh, healthcare, we end up getting really good healthcare for really low prices. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Hey, this is Dr. Philip Fletcher with Martha Voino, our guest today on the Humanity Matters One on One. And we are going to take a break and we will be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Humanity Matters uh, podcast, broadcast one on one with Martha Bueno. And we are talking about. Uh, Miss Bueno, her candidacy in Miami-Dade down in Florida. Um, and what's the position called again? Because they're different than here in yes. Arkansas. Here it's uh, Miami-Dade commissioner uh, for commissioner. area. District District 10 is what I'm okay. running for. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you live in Arkansas, uh, the position she's running for be our quorum court uh, justice of the peace. They oversee our county um, in budget and all that. So that's what I was thinking. That's the equivalent for what you would be running for, uh, mm-hmm. for our listeners in Arkansas. Hey, if you got a question for Miss Bueno, uh, you can just shoot it to us and we'd be happy to take that. And so looking at libertarianism, right? How can libertarianism be appealing to someone who traditionally votes Republican, all right? Or who traditionally votes Democrat. I know there's a lot of people I talk to. They are just done with the two party system and um, it's not yielding anything. In fact, you look at 
the current administration on a federal level um, is actually no different than the previous administration. I mean, he's dropping bombs now too. So uh, what has changed? And you already mentioned the, the the COVID bill that's going through, well, I guess it's going to the Senate now. Mm-hmm. Um, another expensive bill where uh, non-Americans are being more privileged uh, instead of the Americans being impacted by COVID. So uh, what is libertarianism? How can it be appealing to someone who's tired of you know, voting Democrat or voting Republican? Can you speak to that? Of course. And I'm just going to address them both together because at this point, the Republican and the Democratic parties are not two parties. They're one big party and it's just the establishment. I Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the thing that I want most people to understand is that, um, you know, just because it's somebody different and and granted, uh, Biden is easier to hear, listen to and, and read his tweets than President Trump was. But um, at the end of the day, it's it's the same thing. We are still in seven unconstitutional wars. We mm-hmm. are, um, you know, dropping bombs on people day in and day out. And the worst part is we are paying for it with our tax yeah. dollars. We, the people of the United States who are not at war with these countries, we pay for this. So um, and it doesn't matter which president is there. Uh, everybody says, well, but Trump didn't start any new wars. Well, great, but he didn't end them either. Mm. So, um, you know, it doesn't matter who drops the bombs, the bombs are still being dropped. And war is something that benefits the very specific elite of this country who uh, make money off of these wars. So um, we, the people, are not benefited by it. The people in Syria, the people in Afghanistan, the people in Iraq, I mean, nobody is being benefited by this other than the elite few. So that right there, I hope, is something that matters to both the Republicans and the Democrats. Again, I believe most people are good people. I don't Mm. think that most Americans are sitting around thinking, oh, those Syrians, let's drop more bombs on them. Yeah. Um, You know, it's we just that's not who we are as a nation, as people. Um, And so why are we supporting that? Why are we saying, yes, take my money, take more of my money so that we can drop bombs? That's one issue. Then the other issue is taxes, of course. That's a big one for the Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States government takes, you know, depends if you're on the lower income, you still pay taxes you pay less. And then yep. on the higher side, you pay over 40 percent. And that's just your income. Then you have state taxes, you have local taxes, you have um, uh, you pay taxes when you purchase things. You pay taxes uh, when you buy a car, when you register your car, when you buy gas, if you buy cigarettes, um, if you buy a house, you're going to pay property taxes. If you rent the house, you're not paying them directly, but your landlord sure is. And so when you put all of this together, the average American works well over five months every year just for the United States government. So now, of course, I don't want to be misinterpreted. I I believe that all... um, uh, all slavery is bad and I am not equating yeah. this. But when you work for somebody else for five months uh, for free, yeah, I don't know what else to call that. So yeah, that, you know, that is modern day slavery. Yeah, in the traditional, in the, the purest definition of the of the word, that is essentially what it is. Um, it, it, it's slavery. You, you could, moving out of its, the term in the American context, it's just slavery in general. And um Right. I don't know why people don't. I don't know why people don't like have a reaction to that. 
<laughs> I don't either. And, you know, it's just it's it's something to me that I think that we need to have these honest conversations yeah. because we, you know, it matters. It matters that single moms have to have multiple jobs. If you just were able to keep your funds, mm-hmm. all of them, a lot of people wouldn't need that recovery fund because the recovery yeah. fund, what it is, is the government, as usual, taking winners and losers, you know, picking winners and losers and deciding I'm going to take money from you and give it over here. But in that process of taking money from somebody and giving it to somebody else, they take a large chunk of it mm-hmm. for their own uses. So, right. um, you know, it's just there's so many issues that we need to address as as United States and as, you know, its citizens. And um, the way we treat people is one of them. So I think that these are huge reasons why people should look into libertarianism. Um, and then, of course, it's you know, we create laws and we don't apply those laws equally. Uh, yep. Libertarians, we believe in ending qualified immunity. If you are an elected official, and yes, I'm running to be an elected official. And no, I don't want special treatment. If I am an elected official, I don't deserve anything that somebody else can't get. I don't deserve to um, be able to drink and drive and not go to jail because I'm an elected official or I mm-hmm. don't deserve to kill somebody and go free because I'm an elected official or I'm a police officer or I am a judge or whatever the case may be, a senator, right. or, you know, um, our law should apply equally. So I think that would go a long, long, long way towards what we're seeing in this country, which is, you know, it's unfortunate because it's, I think the conversation is very nuanced. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we're saying, oh, all police officers are bad or, you know, they're trying to do these things. And what we don't realize is police officers have a job and their job right. is to uphold the laws that were written by somebody else. They don't exactly. write the laws. They don't get to decide, you know what, I'm not going to stop this vehicle and I'm not going to do this thing. So they are put into this very difficult position. They're given very little training on how to deal with uh, certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then very terrible things have been happening. And as right. people were like, we need more laws for this. And I'm thinking, no, we need to stop. We need yeah. to stop. We need less laws. Yeah. We need I've, less I've, laws, a lot less. Yeah. I've made the argument, especially in regards to the you know, last the year with um, you know, the officer involved killings, uh, George Floyd and uh so on and so forth. Brianna Taylor. Uh, Brianna Taylor. Um, a lot um, of these have to do with, like you said, these policemen, they're just enforcing the existing laws passed by, you know, state legislators or, or Congress. And so what would that look like to increase the gap, if you will, between citizens and, and law enforcement? And so that requires uh, doing away with like some of these silly laws, you know, like um, people getting pulled over for a taillight, you know, right. which could spiral into. With a, a gun, ho- though, being pulled over with a gun. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's every law written. And I think this is the most impactful thing that I've, I've ever heard from somebody else is, um, and Larry Sharp talks about this often. He's a libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Every law on the book is applied, you know, is, is taken to its full ex- extent. There's no law that is small enough that won't require uh, or won't, the government won't use the force of a gun to, mm-hmm. to uphold it. So it could be even jaywalking. There was something in the news just the other day of somebody jaywalking that the police ended up, you know, throwing them on the ground. And and I don't recall if they were shot. But I mean, every law that we have on the books that is for supposedly our benefit somehow, it could land you in jail. It could land yeah. you um, shot. 
And so I think that we need to understand that if we if we think that there's a law that is so important that we're willing to uphold it with a gun, mm. then then okay. I mean, you know, murdering someone, that's that's a good law that we should have and right. it should be upheld with a gun. But um jaywalking or I mean most of the drug laws, in my opinion, right. should not be should not be drug laws to begin with. Right. Um I don't know if you want to go down the route of <laughs> oh, we can go down that rabbit hole with, with, <laughs> with drug laws. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah. You know, so most libertarians are in um, agreement that that um, drug laws are terrible. It was a terrible thing to have done. Uh, prohibition didn't work in the 1920s with alcohol. As a matter of fact, alcohol at that time, you know, bootleg alcohol, like everybody mm -hmm. knows caused plenty of deaths, plenty of people were were harmed because it's not the same to have a, let's say a distillery, a Johnny Walker. If Johnny yeah. Walker puts out a, a bottle of, of, of alcohol of any kind and people start dying from it, nobody's going to go buy John, Johnny Walker. But if you buy it from, you know, the bootleg guy down the street, you have no way of knowing what it is and mm -hmm. possibly saving yourself. Same right. thing with the, with drugs. Most people who die of drugs either die trying to acquire the drugs, which is, again, based on the laws and police, how mm -hmm. they or they get drugs that they thought was one thing. And it turned out to be something it's, completely it's different with something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So look at the, the, the legal markets of cannabis. Cannabis these days is amazing. You've got some quality um, grown you know, buds. You've got some quality stuff. Whereas before, when it was completely illegal across the United States, people used to call it Mexican brick. It used to be some terrible stuff smuggled over the border, mm -hmm. laced with all sorts of things. It was bad. It was bad for you. It was um, just not good. So prohibition never works, it never has worked. It's another thing like socialism just doesn't work. And, and, yet economy. <laughs> and the added benefit of what we're doing with with the war on drugs is we're giving money to dictators like Venezuela and Cuba because that's their that's how they make money. Mm -hmm. They make money with a narco regime. So the more that we continue to do this, the more the the issues all across South America. Um, as you mentioned, I, I do a show with my friend Zach Foster, Libertariano, where we speak about these issues in Spanish. We create libertarian content, and mm -hmm. this is a big one for us. The issues happening in Latin America can be traced almost exclusively to the war on drugs in the United States. The United States is the main consumer of drugs, whereas okay. Latin America is the main producer of drugs. Okay. And who and who is getting it into the United States? It's the Cuban and Venezuelan governments, among others, obviously Colombia. But it, the problems in Central America, the reason that so many people in Central America are getting out and trying to come to the United States in droves is because of the war on drugs, because it creates... Uh, just like here where we had Al Capone and we had, you know, we had these cartels, the yeah. cartels in South America is the problem. So okay. it's just a disaster all the way around. There's no good solution to the war on drugs other than ending it. Yeah, that's a that's a good perspective uh, concerning the war on drugs and how it relates to, you know, how it relates to countries in Central and, and South America. But then also, I guess impacting the immigration situation that's going on right, right now. So they're kind of related. Would I, it is would kind I of related. Say that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. yeah. I mean, it just, it forces it. Think about it. You're in your country, you know, there's this horrible gang war going on. You're people are getting killed in the streets. Every, you know, young kids, it's just, it's, it's a terrible situation. They want to get out of there. So they come mm -hmm. here. Um, 
and I don't blame them. I, you know, as I said, my parents were immigrants. I was, I just missed being an immigrant by virtue of being born here. My brother was born in Cuba. So I consider myself an immigrant. I, um, I had the same circum- circumstances as an immigrant. I just happened to be born here. And yeah. so um, immigration is good. I think that um, history sh- proves that immigration is very good. It's very good for every country that allows it. It's what made America right. what it was. Um, right. Obviously, forced immigration is not good, but <laughs> but right. immigration, uh, free will immigration is yeah, very good yeah. for country. And we need it. I hear you 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> right. So I would really like to see us having these real discussions. You know, I, I get that a lot of people don't like immigration because they experience something. Um, they they especially in in certain communities. So I know that the um, the African American community in particular doesn't like the Hispanic community because we emigrate because they believe we take their jobs. So I think that there's a bigger conversation that needs to be had on um, immigration. You know. Um, I think that the, the problems are bigger than just the immigration. Obviously, right. the war on drugs that we were just speaking on primarily affects a lot of people of color because that is a job that, you know, it, 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 unfortunately or fortunately, they, you know, um, kids end up going into the drug trade often mm-hmm. and they get hurt. And, you know, it's just, oh, boy, I feel like a lot of our problems could just be fixed by a little less government or a lot less government. Yes. Beat that drum. Beat that drum. (laughs) Dr. Philip Fletcher with Martha Bueno. And uh, we're talking all things about libertarianism and uh, just the work that she does in Florida. So you got a show with Zach Foster called Libertarios Hispanios. Um, Can you take some time and talk about what's outreach look like to uh, the Hispanic community? Um, except for what we do, it's really not that big. Okay. Uh, it's not out there. Um, Republicans and Democrats as well. They every four years will come out and say, you know, Hispanic people vote for us the same way that they do to the African-American community. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm for you. Come vote for me. Usually the Democrats, the Democrats reach out to us and tell us we're going to stop deportations. Um, you know, one of, doc, uh, of, of Joe Biden's uh, policies to get him elected that he told us he was going to do was to stop deportations for at right. least a hundred days is since he took office, there's been over 30,000 deportations. So, um, you know, it's always the same thing. Hey, we're going to do these things. And then it doesn't, we heard a lot about children in cages, which, I mean, mm-hmm. just think about that horrible, like you emigrate here, you have a horrible situation back home. And what does the United States do to you? They throw you, they throw you in a cage. So we continue to do that. Now we're just calling them overflow facilities or whatever. The yeah. um, We had closed down our, our uh, here in South Florida, we had a detention facility for children. It had really? been closed down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, under Joe Biden, it was just recently announced that we we're going to reopen it. So um, not only is he continuing the same policies as Trump, but he's doubling down on them. Um, same thing with the DACA kids, kids who've come across the border through no fault of their own because their parents mm-hmm. came here and now they're illegal here. Um, mm-hmm. These kids, their home country isn't isn't some other country. They've never been there. They don't have family there. They don't have anything there. And we're deporting these people. You know, we've already given them an education. We've already educated. They're, they live here. They're part of our society. Yeah. Where is the humanity in sending these kids back to a place where they have nothing where they have to start fresh in a country that's probably in terrible, you know, in a terrible position to have them back. I mean, 
we used to be the country that we extended a hand. And I get that, you know, our history is is not exactly it's the great. It's a mixed great. bag. Yeah, it's, it's a mixed, mixed bag. bag. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, I say this very cautiously because I do believe that the United States should have done better, could have done better, and needs to do better. There's no excuse for the stuff that's gone down. Right. Absolutely. You know, I'm not at all saying that the United States was right. But when you think about what we stand for as Americans, I don't believe that it's this. I don't believe that it is taking kids and putting them in jail and separating them. And there is a lot of trafficking. I do think that that is a real thing. I do think that there's some human trafficking, but the majority of these people who are coming across the border are desperate. Um, I know plenty of people who have sent their kids ahead because they need their kids out of that situation. And as a mom, I'll tell you, there's nothing I wouldn't do for the health and well-being of my kids. And if that means, you know, putting them in the hands of somebody else to get them to freedom, I might have to do that. So um, I really wish that we would start looking at individual situations instead of just generalizing. I um, I do speak to a lot of these people. Um, yeah. My friend Zach Foster runs a um, a group that to help help them get access to uh, people in detention camps get help um, to be able to you know have people translate because it's okay. just these detention camps they're just. It's a disaster. Everything about them is a disaster. We're not giving people due process. Um, we've we've seen a lot of women getting forced hysterectomies. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. really bad. So um, I ask people to please get a little better informed on what's going on in, in these detention camps before making the decision that it's all bad and that right. these kids, you know, are all being trafficked or sent across the border for some nefarious yeah. reason. Um, you know, it's, it's a really bad situation. There's no good answer here on, on those detention camps. Yeah, that's, that's, that whole situation is tough. Um, I work with communities here in, in Conway who, um, whole communities who, who've come here for one reason or another, but ultimately the common theme is, you know, they want a better opportunity for themselves and their kids and, a lot of kids are hard workers and, you know, um, in school and some want to go to college and some want to, you know, carry on uh, the business of, you know, what they see their dad doing. A lot of construction workers, mm-hmm. uh, bricklayers, so on and so forth. And, you know, they've got a dream. They're trying to make it happen. And that American find, dream. Yep. We've got to find ways to, I think, support them in that, um, mm-hmm. especially when you mentioned the DACA kids, I work with a lot of them, uh, me and my nonprofit. And uh, in fact, I had one young girl, she came to me, she's about to graduate high school this year. And, you know, she's trying to get her paperwork done with that program. And she was like, Dr. Phil, can you give me the paperwork? Like how I attended, you know, the summer school stuff and all that, you know, for Coho. And so it's, it's those real life stories, those individual situations. Um, I wish more people would take time to learn and understand before making a, a blanket judgment, because you're right. Like, you know, as a parent, what wouldn't you do for your kid, you know, and, um, even harder if you have to send your kid by themselves without your protection, you know? So, uh, it's definitely tough. It's It's definitely tough. tough. And I mean, I think most people who have children would 
if you're put in that situation where mm -hmm. it's, you know, life or death, or you send your kid ahead of you to another country. And a lot of people think that they're going to follow their kids too. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it's such a terrible situation. And it just breaks my heart that this is what, you know, we're doing to these people who yeah. come here for just an opportunity. And I mean, I don't know. I just, it's, it's really, it really does, um, take its toll uh, when you when you talk to these people and you see what they're about. And, you know, um, they have such a terrible reputation. Sure, there's, like Donald Trump said, sure, there's some rapists and murderers, but I mean, that's probably the very small minority. Right. And as a matter of fact, in the United States, people who commit crime, by and large, are Americans and not yeah. immigrants. Right, right. Yeah, immigrants are trying to make it. They're trying to... <laughs> they're busy just trying down. to hustle. You know, they're trying to keep their head down. Like... <laughs> We're just hey, trying to wanna, work, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're just trying to make it to work and all that stuff. So um, you speak loudly about the importance of local politics. Um, how can speak to people? How how can people be encouraged to get involved in their local politics? I think many times we get so focused on the circus that's happening in Washington, D.C., um, that we miss the ball of what's happening, you know, in our city, uh, on, in our state. So can you speak to that about the importance of getting involved in local politics? A hundred percent. We completely miss the government that has most control over your life. And we're paying attention to one person, the president, who's thousands of miles away from most of us, whose decision-making powers is pretty big, but it doesn't really affect our general lives. I mean, mm -hmm. as horrible as war is, we're fortunate here in the United States. That doesn't really quite affect us. You know, we've we've managed to to be in war with Afghanistan for 20 years. And most people don't yeah. even it's not even something on your radar. So yeah. we've been very lucky in that sense. But the government that has the most control over your life is your local government. And yet most people don't know who their mayor is or who their, you know, in my case, community councils or uh, commissioners are. So I encourage people to find this out. Go look at what your local government is doing. I bet they are doing things that you don't approve of. Mm -hmm. I bet they're doing things that you absolutely detest because that's what's happening here in Miami. As I mentioned, we are in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Florida has been really lucky that we've managed to stay open for the most part, um, you know, except for the county that I am in, Miami-Dade and Broward counties have had really bad lockdowns compared to the rest of Florida. Okay. But even during all of this, when, um, you know, our, our teachers haven't been teaching in person school for a long time, a lot of county services were closed, a lot of government buildings were closed, libraries were closed. In Miami-Dade County, we managed to increase your property taxes. So not only are you out of a job and, you know, things are tough and you're educating your kids at home and you're, you know, struggling, but now your property taxes just went up too. So, I mean, it's, it just, it just shows that they don't care. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's nobody that cares that's there saying, you know what, this isn't okay. And Miami-Dade has a $9 billion budget for about 3 million people. We spend so much mm. money on programs that don't work are ineffective at best are corrupt. If we're going to be honest, um, things like the homeless trust here in Miami, um, according to news, uh, different news articles, the homeless trust takes, uh, spends about $50,000 per homeless. And yet we have the same number of homeless. They haven't solved the problem. So why are we paying 50, for this? 50, pretty much. Yeah. Really? 
Mm -hmm. Wow. And so you have to wonder, where is this money going? What is being paid for? Um, you know, we, it's just, there's so many things like this. I, I've personally gone to speak in front of the commissioners regarding things like low-income housing. They mm -hmm. use these words, low-income housing. Okay, great. That sounds like a project I can get behind. I want everybody to have a place to live. Let mm -hmm. me see what's involved in this low-income housing. Um, one particular one I went to speak on was a, a property in Wynwood, which is a real uh, gentrified new neighborhood up and coming. Um, and that piece of property was taken by eminent domain uh, in 79 used as a parking lot. Now eminent domain uh, for people who are listening, who maybe don't know is when the government decides that they have a better use for your property. So they take it from you and they give you whatever they deem is uh, the appropriate payment. Right. Yeah. whatever it was. And so now uh, last year, right before COVID started, I went to speak before the board because they were giving this property away for $10 to a builder who was going to build low income housing. That was uh, the rents were just going to be about the same as any other uh, housing pro uh, housing in the area. Mm -hmm. That property was worth somewhere between 20 to $25 million. So we gifted this developer, 20 to $25 million. Besides that, they get a whole host of tax benefits. And then at the end of the day, after 20 years, they get to destroy this building and it's now theirs and rebuild whatever high, in, high rise, yeah. high property place. So we are taking money out of Miami-Dade citizens' pockets and giving it to developers with this guise of it being low-income housing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a farce. And I just want the opportunity to be able to explain to people what we're doing um, and and hope that people care and hope that people will join me in fighting these things because it's not that this money is coming, you know, from some rich person. We are all paying it. Our property taxes pays for this. And the yeah. more they have to take out of our pockets to cover all of the actual essential things and then the non-essential things that they've done, the worse off we all are. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll never own your home. You'll never own your home as long as there's property taxes. And that is something that hits very close to me. As I said earlier, I lived with my grandfather when I was um, a young mother. I had my son at 21. Uh -huh. And um, my arrangement with him was that I got to live in his house for free as long as I took care of all of his expenses, all of the home's expenses. And okay. that's when I realized that my grandfather would have lost his home if I hadn't had that opportunity to, to live there with him because he would have never been able to pay with his $900 a month social security check, the, you know, $2,000 property taxes. He has to feed himself. He has to pay electricity. He had to pay his medicines. There was nothing left over and much less $2,000. I mean, that was three months of his social security check just to pay the right to have the house. And if you don't pay it, the government will come in and take your home from you. I know that he is not the only person. I know right. that there's more people going through what he did. How right. many people, how many single mothers, how many older people, how how many families are we destroying in the name of helping other people? And that's where I see the evil in this. So if anything, please, 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 to your audience, please go pay attention to your own local government. I'm sure there's plenty of good ones. Um, like I said, I don't think people do it because they're evil. I just think that, you know, we've gotten into this, this vibe of, Hey, that's how things are done. And we're going to keep doing them like that. And I just want to see that changed. I want to see people educated on what's going on and um, hopefully rising up and saying enough is enough. That's good. That's good. Hey, um, finally, you're an entrepreneur 
and entrepreneur combined with your your libertarianism, being a business creator, uh, what's the impact of the political system on you know opening a, a small business, you know doing the things that you've done in the past? Um, what does government need to do so that entrepreneurs can do what they want to do to you know achieve obviously their vision, but also provide some type of good and service uh, to the to the society? Government can get out the way. That would be the easiest, best thing to do. So, um, but like that was a softball question. Yeah, <laughs> that was a softball question. Just get government out of the way. You know, uh, yeah. there's a big thing with with uh, licensing laws that mm -hmm. the government puts in place, which is basically to keep other people out. Um, a long time ago, there was a story about a, a woman who who would braid uh, people's hair in her home, and she was shut down because she didn't have a cosmetology license. Now, I mean. How ridiculous is this that some, you know, you're you're an expert in your field. It's not like they teach hair braiding at cosmetology school or, or barber, you know. So it's just a barrier to entry that causes people who want to do, you know, not every business is going to be the next Google or the next uh, Tesla or the next, you know, whatever. Right. There are businesses of all sizes. And as a matter of fact, the biggest impact you can make on your local economy are these small businesses. If you can solve somebody's problem and do it for less and do it better, um, you know, you're in business. And government decides at some point that, hey, no, you know, we're just going to we're going to force you to have this license, this thing, pay us yeah. these fees to register a business. It's yeah. hundreds of dollars and you have to do it every year. And then yeah. you got to pay taxes. Those taxes take a long time time to figure out. They're very complicated. You need an accountant most of the times. I mean, it's we, our whole system, we're used to it. So we kind of say, oh, well, that's fine. But I mean, just mm -hmm. think about how much money every um, small business has to pay to an accountant, not not for the things that accountants should be doing, which is telling you, hey, this part of your business isn't yeah. working. It's not paying you enough. You need to that's the job that I, I would like an accountant to do to to help small businesses better manage their money, better run their company. Instead, you spend tons of money being able just to comply with the U.S. government. And so, um, again, it's just kind of like a big, I feel like I'm just saying the same things over and over again. Get government out of the way. Most of the licensing laws are just to keep people out of it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we as a community, we need to stick together. Um, tons, tons of people could be opening up small businesses in their homes right now, especially yeah. during COVID. Yes. Um, yes. When, you know, you needed a haircut. Hey, if, if your local neighbor wanted to take you in, why not? Oh, no, they don't have the right laws. You know, you know how it goes. If if, yeah. if somebody gives you a terrible haircut, you're never going to go back there. No, you're not. Nope. <laughs> that nope. works better yeah. than all these licensing laws because you can have all the licenses and still give a crummy haircut, you know, right. <laughs> doesn't right. really save anybody. Yeah. yeah. Don't go sit in his chair. Yeah. He'll <laughs> fix it or go or find another profession. You're right. Find something right. better. Right. You know, so <laughs> government doesn't really do that for us. They don't really right. protect. That's it. So eliminate government. <laughs> upcoming events. I know you got a big event coming up and how can people connect with you, Martha? Um, so I am very active on Twitter at Martha Bueno 18. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Facebook slash Martha for Miami, yeah. uh, Instagram, the same name, Martha for Miami. I am working on that website for my campaign. Uh, not quite there yet. I launched a little early um, and I didn't think that I'd get this much um, 
libertarians, we're never in the news. We we don't we don't get a lot of people uh, really talking about it. So I didn't expect it to happen, and it's happening. So I'm a little yeah. behind. Um, and yes, we have an event coming up uh, next Friday. Uh, I'm super excited. Uh, my personal hero and um, somebody I've looked up to for many years, Gloria Alvarez. She's a best-selling author. She also ran for president of uh, Guatemala. Oh. Um, she didn't make it because wow. she was under the legal age to run. However, she is um, just an international superstar in the okay. uh, libertarian community. Uh, you know, she's gone to speak everywhere from Australia to Europe. She's great. She's going to be here along with another um Great art, uh, also an author, Antonella Marti, Spike Cohen, who ran for president under the Libertarian, uh, vice president, I'm sorry, under the Libertarian uh, Party is going to be here in Miami as well. Um, more information at libertarioshispanos.com. It's going to be a bilingual event and also on my Twitter. Um, I hope people can come out and listen to these wonderful people speak about liberty. We will also be live streaming it. So uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I will post the link there. Cool. And we'll be putting all of Martha's contact information in the about for this podcast. And so finally, Martha, what is one idea you want people to walk away with today? Um, <clears throat> the idea that government doesn't solve everything. And um, I've been seeing that more and more, especially now with COVID, people want the government to solve all their problems. And, you know, I just want people to know that government is made up of the same people you see out and about every day. There's no special qualification to be a senator, a, to be a governor, to be a community council member, to be a commissioner. All you have to do is be 18 and or over the age that they are asking for that particular role. Obviously, president is a little higher than that. Um, you know, these are just people. They're people like you or I. A lot of them uh, have the same issues you and I have. So, um, you know, just because they made it to that position doesn't somehow make them uh, better at dealing with life's issues. And so when you when you see them from th through that lens, I just want people to understand that they might not have the solutions. They're promising you solutions, but they don't necessarily have them. And the real power is in our hands. We, the people, the way it was intended to be. So um, that's that's my message is less government, more power in the hands of the people um, so that we can have a better society. Mm, that's good, Martha. Thank you, Martha. I appreciate your time very Thank much. Thank you. Dr. Yeah. I appreciate you and all that you do. Hey, next uh, Sunday, March 14th, we will be having Spike Cohen join us. He was the uh, former 2020 Libertarian vice presidential candidate, and that will be uh, at 5 p.m. As always, you can uh, connect with my various nonprofits, City of Hope Outreach, coho58.org, Hope Village, hopevillagecoho.org, and our Replicate Nonprofit Development Initiative. And as always, remember to be loved, to be kind, to be generous. Remember, if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. Y'all take care. God bless. Thank you for joining us of the Humanity Matters podcast. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org. Like us on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Remember to be loved, be kind, be generous. And if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible.